Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Artwork, a monthly podcast produced by Fab NYC, exploring and celebrating the work of artists and cultural workers in New York City. I am your host, Risa Shoup. I'm also the executive director of Fab NYC. And this week's opening and closing music is courtesy of Nova Mandark, a rapper born and raised here in the Lower East Side. For those of you who don't know, Fab NYC is an arts and cultural advocacy organization serving the Lower East Side. And this podcast is a response to, first of all, a lack of podcasts out there dealing with the performing arts. Second, we want to celebrate the good work and good people in the field of arts and culture. And third, the arts has always embraced difficult conversations. And hey, we think we have some valuable perspectives to offer as we navigate this messy world. Each episode, we bring to the table two or three guests from the field to reflect upon a theme. This episode, we are talking about curatorial practices, and we are so excited to have curators Mariah Weathers, Rasu Jelani, and Dan Fishback join us at the table today. Mariah is a dancer and independent manager, producer, and curator. She works as the director of international initiatives at Movement Research, as well as project manager and producer for Angela's Pulse, Dancing While Black, David Thompson, and others. Most recently, she was a guest curator for Queer New York International Arts Festival earlier this fall. Hi, Mariah. Hi. Rasu is a social sculptor and entrepreneur whose work investigates the intersection between art, culture, and civic engagement as a means of raising critical consciousness. Most recently, Rasu has joined the art design tech incubator New Inc. staff as consulting director of cultural diversity and strategic partnerships held at the New Museum. Hey, Rasu. What up? And last but certainly not least, we have writer, performer, theater maker Dan Fishback. Dan is also the director of the Helix Queer Performance Network, a collaboration between La Mama, the Hemispheric Institute of Performance and Politics, and Brooklyn Arts Exchange. Every January, Dan curates La Mama's Squirts, a platform for younger queer artists to develop and share their work with the public. Dan, how you doing? Oh, that's that's a big question, it but is. hi. Hi. It's good to be here. <laughs> uh, welcome to Mariah, Rasu, and Dan. We're honored to have you with us today to talk about curation, inclusion, and equity. There is so much to talk about, so let's just dive into our very first opening segment called Practical Excellence. In this segment, we each bring to the table a, an example uh, or a practical application of our work, not just theoretical musings or navel-gazing, but a practice or act of labor that concretely affects the people with whom we work and the work that we do. Who would like to start? Well, I have some thoughts about that. Thank you, Mariah. <laughs> Share them with us, please. Um, and I think this is more along the lines of maybe, in air quotes, invisible labor, um, but something that I get a lot of satisfaction out of uh, in the work that I do and in the various types of work that I do is bringing people together and connecting them. So um, accessing my contacts and colleagues uh, as resources and pairing people up so that awesome people can get together and do amazing things. I think that's great. I mean, I think and I think you're right. Absolutely. That that is a part of our work that too often goes like unsung or underrepresented or not talked about enough or otherwise invisible, as you put it. Um, and it sounds to me like it is a big part of the work of curators. And it's something that I know that you do. So thanks for sharing that. Well, well 
This is Dan. Hi. Hi, Dan. <laughs> and, um, and, um, I was I thinking that since so much, so much of my work as a curator has to do with, to do with not taking not things taking personally, personally in, in moments of conflict, conflict and potentially like taking, a, taking on a lot of garbage, <laughs> like taking on a lot of psychic uh, uh, static, um, that because of that, a huge part of my practice has to be finding some kind of structured uh, ritual for positive self-regard just to like build myself to the point where I have the strength to withstand um, uh, difficult and emotionally fraught moments oh so you're saying that your your health and safety matters in the work that you do <laughs> i'm saying that uh if it didn't i wouldn't be able to serve the artists i care about yeah yeah i get that absolutely yeah, yeah. thanks for bringing that to the table today and finally rasu what would you like to share in practical excellence so I've always pride myself on having a big network and it's because I come from intersection of different mm -hmm. um, industries, um, 14 years in tech. After that, where I met you at Pratt was the beginning of my art career mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. theater. Um, now back at where it's all at. So um, what my practice is, is empowering my network, not simply having it, um, but it's to put them to work. And um, the way I do that is figure out ways to create other events. This is the curation part. We'll create events, create um, theater works, or create exhibits where people are coming together and having a, a conversation through art. So that's my practice. I, I really appreciate you saying that. I can say that I have, in the years that I have known you, I know that you do just that. So thank you for it. <laughs> yeah. And I want to tell all of our listeners that none of this, none of these answers were coordinated ahead of time. And I'm really thrilled with sort of the beauty and the grace that's flowing through all those answers. And I hope maybe those topics will resurface in our in our roundtable conversation coming up. I my my practical excellence is super concrete, and it is. Um, getting this podcast to happen with the excellent help of <laughs> Denise Shumay, who is our associate producer, as well as Fab's director of marketing, and who you won't hear today, but who is um, behind the computer and doing so much work to make this happen. And I'm, I'm proud that, that we've done this. It's a big goal, and we're really glad to be here. I want us all to kind of pat ourselves on the back for being practical. It's important. <laughs> We have to make hard decisions a lot as, as curators and people who design platforms of varying types. And sometimes um, you just, you have to make really concrete decisions about time and resources. So good on us for doing that. Um, we're gonna we're gonna flow ungracefully into the round table segment, which is the meat of our podcast. For those of you listening at home or work or somewhere else, this is the part that you recognize from all the other podcasts that you listen to, where the group of people who bring their own unique perspectives to the table have a conversation about a theme. To remind us all, the theme here today is curation, inclusion, and equity. Um, I'm going to kick us off with a question. And so my opening question is, what is a good curator and what is the role uh, in the arts ecosystem and beyond of that quote-unquote good curator. No one's going to jump on it. You're just going to look wow. at me. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's, a, that's huge, Risa. I know. Um, I refuse to answer the question, but... <laughs> great, great. <laughs> what, what I value in a curator 
is someone who can um, catch or harness a community truth. Someone who can listen to what is actually happening in an actual um, true network of people who have actual relationships with each other and actual friendships and 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 artistic relationships and listen and and ascertain what is the flavor of a moment what are the values of a community and manifest that somehow uh in front of people so that they can so that people within a community can see a truth that they are experiencing reflected back to them and so the people outside of the a community can learn something about that community in in a productive way. Maybe? Sure. <laughs> good answer. Yeah. A plus. Oh, that was really you. good. <laughs> so I'll jump in and just say that for me, curations that I appreciate is even amongst the, you know, exalted curators, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll leave with a bit of distaste in my mouth. Um, and because oftentimes I try to, I, I like to see practitioners in any field to go beyond the comfortable and and to challenge its audience or challenge its um, its ticket holders or challenge its artists to get messy um, and to go beyond the mainstream and status quo. Um, to bring voice to communities that normally may not have voice, or if it is a community that has voice, that challenge them to think deeper than their platform. Um, also, to me, a good curator takes care of the audience and take care takes care of the artist, right? So if you're one of those diva curators, I probably don't fuck with you because there's... Oh, can we curse? Yeah, yeah, I have yeah, a potty yeah. mouth. Come on, come on. Um, I don't know if the children, the children are listening to this. <laughs> children are curse. Um, I think any kids that are listening to a podcast <laughs> on curation, like they've heard the word fuck before. Right? <laughs> yeah, so there, there's, a, there, there's a... It's social. Mm-hmm. It's not te- just technical. You know, an exhibit, for example, an exhibit installer is technical, right? A theater line producer or even a technical producer of a theater piece is technical. A curator has to kind of like think about all the people that's part of it and how to manage and take care of them all so they can do the best work they can do. Um, So that's, to me, the best curators. I feel like a diva curator isn't even a curator. That's just a booker. That or they just have the title, right? Yeah, exactly. Like booking is selecting artists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Curation is like what you said. It's like... Um, taking care of mm. a community of people who are making mm. something happen. And like, right. I know there's some nerds out there that that are going to call me on this if we don't say it. So that is, that's like the Latin root of the word, right? Is to care for. Oh, yeah. Many people don't yeah. know I know, that. I know, but we know. I just learned that We're recently. sharing that. People out there totally know. Right. So we all, we're all in the knowing that together. That makes sense. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow. Um, Mariah. Yeah, I'm... I'm thinking if I have anything further to add, because I feel like you both touched on really important aspects that I also value. Um, you know, I think I think for sure um, having a, a a broad understanding of your constituents, so that being audience, but also artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that even the way that we understand constituents, so it's not just who's going to come to the theater, but who's not coming and why not, 
and how do we get them mm-hmm. to come? Um, and the why not, I think, is is even more important even than the getting them to come, you right. know, because, like, mm-hmm. if you look at that, work needs to feel relevant. You know, people will come if it feels relevant. So if they're not coming, it doesn't feel relevant to them. Indeed. So all of these questions around, I'm kind of going off topic a little bit. You had mm-hmm. mentioned mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. about diversity and inclusion. You know, I just feel like we've been asking the wrong questions, mostly with good intentions. But so, yeah, to me, a good curator is someone who's considering all of those things and and has a way of expressing those values um, in many different ways and many mm-hmm. different entry points, entry points for an audience or, or, or community or communities that are coming in, um, you know, so it's not going to look the same and, and be recreated, uh, you know, in the terms of for dance embodied. So it's an embodied experience, not only for the actual bodies who are moving on the stage, but for those who are witnessing and experiencing, you know, like what do they take away from it um, and potential for, for transformation. And it doesn't even have to be huge, you know. I mean, I think actually the kind of small, maybe even mundane ways of transformation of just the recognition of, oh, I've never thought of it that way or I haven't, you know, would never have thought of these people together on this program and that contrast has shifted something, you know. So, like, how do we also bring in audiences own awareness to their experience of viewing. So I want to stay with that and also reflect on this phrase that you use that we're, we're quote unquote, like not, not always asking the right question. So what are the right questions and, or some of the right questions or the right questions for each of you? And what are ways that you have either actively as curators yourselves tried to give audience that opportunity to find themselves or made choices to better reflect your communities and or what are ways that you've observed other curators doing that? Well, some, uh, a phrase mm-hmm. that Maria Warshaw and, at Bax and I, yeah, or, or not really a phrase, it's a statement that we use a lot is um, curation is community service. This is something that we Word. are constantly mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. And how do we imagine curation as community service? And the, the the prime question, if that's your assumption, is who is the community? Because everything else has to come from that. How do you define community? Who is, your, who is the actual community that you are serving? And because until you define what that is, you can't know how to serve. How You can't know how to ask what someone needs. You can't know how to intuit uh, uh, what someone could use or some, what someone could need. So for instance, with La Mama's Squirts, which is like an intergenerational queer performance series, the hypothesis, the, the assumption, or really like the insistence is that queer community is intergenerational whether or not people know each other. That we insisted on defining queer community the way we, the way we wanted it to be and the way we felt that it should be rather than the way it generally is, which is incredibly age segregated. Um, and by defining it as such and presenting it as such, we were able to, in some ways, start to like mend, begin the mending of this schism, this gap, uh, and um, and and try to contribute to what I think it was going to be like a never-ending healing process of uh, queer folks sort of like plunked into the world with rootless without any kind of connection to whatever just came before them because every queer generation keeps like reinventing itself. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is, you know, also like a common, which is something that a lot of displaced peoples <laughs> um, have to deal with. It's that, but that queerness yeah. is like an internal displacement. <laughs> um, so that's like, uh, so that's always been the question. It's like, who, who is it? What do they need? And there is also that physical displacement there too, where you're in so yeah. many ways, your contact is cut off, especially from older generations who may be dead. You know, yeah. and in many cases are, in fact, dead. Yeah. yeah. For me, um, I always think about who's asking the questions. If we're talking in the context of diversity and inclusion, it's like, who's asking the question? Is the is it the power asking the questions? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the power, whatever the power is defined, you know, depending on the community, the power looks different. Um, so who's asking the questions, right? And then is the power, if it's the power asking the questions, is the power asking the question of what am I doing wrong? Because oftentimes you see like when you're in that diversity conversation, which is very frustrating to me because it feels different. Like if you're a power having that question or asking that question, it's usually like give me the answers, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Instead of the introspect of like what am I doing wrong? Like, I don't get it. Like, and that comes from a very humble perspective. So if you're a power asking a diversity question, pay attention to how people react to the question that you ask. (laughs) Then you're probably asking the wrong question, right? The other piece is we must really unpack what diversity and inclusion means. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the diversity question um, because that's the wrong question. Diversity is a numbers game, no matter how we want to spin it. Um, inclusion, access, which you use, which is really good. Access, equity, and inclusion is the method by which you may reach diversity, right? So it's it's how are you creating and invite, inviting you to the dance, right? So, and, and I've quoted this, and I forgot where I originally heard it, but I remember sitting down and someone said it, and I was like, oh, that's it, right? It was like, you know, diversity and inclusion is... Um, inviting you to the party or inviting someone to dance at the party, mm. right? So it's the difference right? because you could be that token motherfucker at the party mm-hmm. and you feel good about the tokenism. And I won't call out anyone in a performing arts game, but I'm pretty sure y'all know who I'm talking about, that it's really <laughs> cool with being the, the only Negro in space, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's not good enough for me. Like I'm always counting, like why am I the only whether it's like why I'm the only black man, why I'm the only um, person of color, or why I'm the only man, or why I'm the only heterosexual, in certain Mm -hmm. cases, depending on where I'm at, right? Because even power dynamics flip, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're oppressed people having a conversation about diversity, oftentimes you don't have the power dynamic in the room with the conversation, so you're kind of like bitching. And it's just like, damn, like, you know, the people that need to hear this conversation is not here. So it's very complex, but I've simplified it. And how what is what does inclusion look like truly, right? Mm-hmm. So even within this context of Trump, how many of you are actually having a conversation with Trump supporters? And many of us don't want to, but that's the hard part is to have like, why did you vote for that motherfucker? Really? Mm-hmm. And I've I've done that four times already, and my perception has shifted a couple of times, right? Not that I support Trump, but I'm just like, oh, okay, I get you. I get why you did it. I mean, I don't get why you did it. Right. Get it? So. 
you're meeting individuals and in a different way and you're like you're like forming more authentic relationships in that when you you come from a community that has gangs yeah you dig what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. i can't be in a blood community and say Mm -hmm. you know fuck the crips fuck the crips fuck the crips and never have a conversation with the crips to see why they say fuck the bloods right like that makes no sense and Mm -hmm. that's that's essentially our political party i mean not not to go well yeah to go too far deep into the metaphor right like otherwise it's just broken windows mm-hmm. right otherwise we're just like solving the problems in the immediate without thinking about their systemic roots yeah, yeah. listening yeah. to you talk is making me ask, I mean, you asked what are the questions yeah. and a question that I was thinking listening to you is who benefits from saying diversity instead of dismantling white supremacy yes <laughs> I like, go there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like uh, I, I wrote some grant application recently where I was like, it's just, I'm just going to say white supremacy every single time I, I'm supposed to say diversity and right. I'm just going to see what the fuck happens. Yeah. And because that's what we're all supposed to be talking about. Right. Get rid of the euphemisms. Right. Yeah. And the other question that I was thinking listening to you talk was, am I solving your problem or are you solving my problem? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. There you go. Mm-hmm. Because like I, as a curator, I'm supposed to be solving your problem. And if I need you to solve my problem, then I have a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then, then that, so we're going to get very meta here. So is it the role of anyone to solve someone else's problem? That's the bigger question, right? Here we're talking about empowerment. Mm-hmm. Well, that, well, so, right? so uh, I think culture is going to happen no matter what, mm-hmm. right? Like none of the organizations that we're part of are necessary for culture to happen. Right. But some of them are necessary for culture to happen with some really nice lights. <laughs> or like, like I try to be real, like the this is what I can actually offer. I can solve the problem of maybe you want a really nice sound system. Maybe you want a projection screen. Maybe you want a, some cues. And if your art would be elevated because of that, then I can serve you. And if your art doesn't need that, go sh- do it in a bar. And like, and I will come and I will throw dollars, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so one of the things I think about when I hear that is um, where Risa and I both worked at one point, it was, I was always faced with this question. I don't know if you were mm-hmm. ever in a room when I got asked, what does impact look like? Yeah, totally. All and I'm like, oh my God. And, you know, I wasn't the only black person in the room, but it was just like, I was amongst a whole bunch of urban planners and I'm like looking up in the sky and I'm like, I don't get this question. So mm-hmm. I get it now, but at the time I was totally lost with what, what does impact if we have this and that and blah, blah, blah in these communities. And what happens is how we all embody, embody this patriarchy and this very colonial mind state, right? Mm-hmm. That we're going to go into either a space of performance or a community or whatever, and we're going to solve the problems, Right. And I even used that, I've used that language over time and I've been checked on it many times by the communities I was quote unquote serving. And um, one of the things that I've come to realize for myself, and this is my gift and I'll just share it, is that less, I think now less about solving an issue or solving a problem with said community audience, whatever, and giving them the tools to solve their own problems. Mm-hmm. Right. So here's, here's a method, here's a tool, here's an idea, here's a, and then have them sit down there. I'm like, your problem is for you to figure out. I can empathize in a way that I know I was there, but it doesn't serve me to solve it for you because then when you get to another problem, you're going to expect someone to solve it for you again. So give them the tools. Right. And when we're talking about what 
um, what is a good curator and what it is to curate from different levels of power, that to me is like the best example of sharing that power in an equitable way. But, and also, cause like you trust in your position, right? That you're going to keep getting stuff and you could either hold on to it forever mm -hmm. and freak out about someone taking it from you, or you can constantly give it to the people who, you know, you're ostensibly supposed to be working with anyway and let them do their best things with it or their worst things, but let them do something with it and make an experiment and see what happens and trust that you'll get to do that again and again and again. And hopefully you learn from it. So like you're learn you're doing it differently each time and in accordance with whoever you're doing it with. Does that sound yeah, I don't need to, I'm retweeting that. Yeah, later. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't see the thumbs up on the radio so much, you know. Um, Mariah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question because I want to hear your voice. So, <laughs> okay. so Dan talked about um, not letting someone solve the, your problem for you, and the need for I think curators to insert themselves in the work that they're doing. Right, like no understand the 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 role that the observer has on the experiment in a sense and rasu and i just talked a little bit about empowerment and and like the a more equitable way of sharing resources and opportunities and i want to ask you about what it is to ask for help in that mm -hmm. so when you're in a position of power as a curator offering up opportunities to people um what have you done in your work to best understand the people with whom you're working so that you are asking different and better questions and also like getting support for yourself in your work? Yeah. Um, this feels complicated for me because at this point in my life and career, so almost 20 years in New York City, I look back and I feel like, on a personal level, I didn't do that well for myself. Um, in the you know in the trajectory that I took with my work, and um, and so it's becoming increasingly a priority for me now in terms of um, yeah the, like asking for help and like not feeling like I'm carrying it all in a vacuum. So I think part of that was reflecting the actual experience that I was having, you know, and with my trajectory being that I was like, my approach was infiltrating white in arts institutions. And, you know, like being that sole voice at the table, whether it was a conversation about curation or on a funding panel or, you know, trying to advocate for artists of color, women, queer artists um, in these contexts. And at a time when these conversations, they're much more readily happening, but 20 years ago, I can tell you that they weren't. <laughs> you know, there were certainly people who was in their consciousness, but not on this like sophistication of language, which is still problematic, right? You know, so like very much um, on the front lines of the behind the scenes um, and very much isolated in that. So so this is a complex question for me because it's something I'm asking myself now. Um, and I'm in a different situation. Like I'm no longer working for organizations. I, I'm, you know, independent, completely freelance. And so it's, it's, it's a, even more of a necessity actually to identify my colleagues and, you know, people like Rossio and like who are doing work that's similar or related or who that, you know, I feel inspired by and have a lot of respect for, you know, and so I feel like this is not a good answer. Okay. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but, no, no. but I, I think it, it does touch on a, a like, um, 
I mean, you spoke to this in your intro, you know, like your like practice is about your self-care so that you can do the work you need to do. So I think I'm in that process of recentering myself. So that's like on the personal level. Mm -hmm. In terms of mm -hmm. on the level of work, it's identifying who can help me do what I need to do to provide what I want to provide for the artists and communities that I'm working for. So if that's asking someone, I mean, you know, we lost a venue and, you know, like going back to this, this idea of networks and colleagues and being like, help, you know, and <laughs> um, those kinds of things. So, um, yeah. Do you ever feel like you have enough time for that? And that's a question no. for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. um, but it feels, it feels critical because yeah. I'm also working to have a much more holistic experience. Mm. But like, I feel like things were very compartmentalized between my work and my, you know, administrative slash curatorial, which was, yeah, work and my work as an artist, performer, dancer, and they, it needed to be. And now, and, and also like spiritual community and mm -hmm. connection to that. And now I actually like very much need them to be synthesized. And so I'm looking for the overlaps. Um, so maybe that's my answer is actually looking outside of my immediate community, outside of the dance community, which, you know, in certain ways has fed me for a long time. And in other very important ways, I've been malnourished, right. you know, and so finding where else I can get get fed and where also my contribution is not only recognized and appreciated, but feels essential and reciprocal. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, when I'm in those environments, it's it's. I don't want to say effortless, but it's easeful. It doesn't always have to be so hard and such a fight. And sometimes it does, but I'm just finding that when you when you connect in the right ways, mm -hmm. it, the flow, you know, kind of flows. Can, let's stay with this for a second, and I'm going to do a little, like, lightning round thing with everyone. Can you talk about one or two places that you go beyond the immediate arts world in which you work for that kind of support and perspective and bonus points if you're also going to name a community that you somehow bring into your work as a curator. Hmm. Hmm. So for me, um, recent spiritual practices, you just mentioned Mariah, um, I go to my spiritual mentor a lot just mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, ground me like when everything outside and I have to make a distinction between the social world mm -hmm. and the inner world. Mm -hmm. And when your inner world becomes a social world, that can be chaotic so, like, I leave my political shit at the door and go inside, and there's no complexity of what I'm talking about. It's just like, you know, I am a man. Doesn't matter about my orientation. The fact that I can have the privilege to just call myself just that and keep it simple. I know other people have complexities around it, so I have to, like, sit there and be in it, right? And that helps me a lot. Like, it just, you know, because once I step outside, I have to start putting on layers. I to say, I'm a man heterosexual, black, Caribbean, immigrant. So I add in all these labels to myself, right? But when I'm inside, I don't think about all of that, right? I just keep it very simple. So that keeps me grounded. Um, and that's how anyone that comes in my house is. I don't care about what goes on outside. You're just, it's me and you, right? Um, so that's one piece. The other piece is I'm hyper-local. No matter how much I travel and do other work, I say hyper-local. So my community, being a native New Yorker, I try to activate my 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 community. Right now, my community is bed-stuy. So everything I do 
is really centered around bed and how can I, you know, uh, one of my friends just ran for assemblywoman, like, how can I help you, right? Um, so right. I voted because it was right. less about the president. So it was about, like, I can vote her into office, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then also doing art projects that enroll my community into voice. Mm-hmm. So those are, like, my centering tools. Centering is tricky with me. Apropos of what of what you're saying, Masu, and also Mariah, what you were talking about about your work as an artist and trying to like not compartmentalize your work as an artist and your work as a um, community person or as an uh, an arts organizer person, and something that is big for me right now is trying to balance those two things: my work as an artist and my work as an organizer. And I've really deprioritize my work as an artist for a while. And I'm at a moment right now where I'm trying to tip the balance a little bit. Um, And it is good, yes. But (laughs) I think that one of the reasons why I've been avoiding my art is because I haven't quite yet wrapped my mind around this like essential contradiction for me, which is that ideally my centering practice, my artistic practice has to do with impulse and being truly present and non-judgmental and just letting things flow and flow and flow and flow and flow. But my practice as an aspirationally anti-racist white person is about not operating on impulse and about checking my impulse and about acknowledging the extent to which my impulse is corroded by white supremacy and the way my impulse is corroded by misogyny and all of the other, and even homophobia as a gay person corroded by all of these things and transphobia. And so I'm at a point as a full human where I am like not trusting myself as a matter of improving myself mm-hmm. and as a matter of being uh, trying to lead a more ethical life. And that is not in step with what I know to be true of good art, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm still wrapping my mind around what does it mean to be a good white artist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and I, I don't have easy answers for that, except to say that I've discovered that I feel most comfortable recently making art outside of New York and as alone as possible. So I have, so in, isol, like when I am in isolation, I feel like I am most capable of failing and messing up and saying the wrong thing and, 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 and uh, put, and sp- splattering the wrong impulse on the page or whatever it is so that I can then put my real brain on or my new brain on, let's say, and, and deal with it afterwards. So I'm not centered, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I hope to be one day. (laughs) You know, arts administrator. (laughs) Yeah. Mariah, do you want to give an example, even though you kicked us off? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a big shift has been um, turning to a spiritual community mm-hmm. for support. Um, and that, that I found it has been the space that can hold the most of me. Mm. Professionalism, don't have to bring, you know, kind of like what you're saying, you know, like you don't have to like, I don't have to bring that in the door. I don't have to like wear my resume to be valuable or important or, you know. So, yeah, I, I would say, and for me, that's a community of women, um, but that can take any form, you know, for each of us and and also also artists you know like being in my artist self with other artists and just hanging out you know um something that I don't get to do very often and I know I've also been negotiating that 
you know, imbalance of <laughs> art organizing and, and my own kind of practice and, and, you know, and also just like through increasing disillusionment with, with our communities or these communities at least, um, maybe a sort of distancing and now stepping back into it, but on my own terms, not being willing to not bring my whole self. Whereas maybe, maybe there was a time when I, you know, tried to fit into the, into the thing. So stepping into those spaces fully, mm -hmm. the ones that can fully hold me and also where I can also be present to, to witness and receive other people in their full selves. Yeah, I, I've heard, I think I've heard all of us now talk about this intention towards being a full person in our work. Um, and yes, finding other people with whom we can work towards that. And I, I, you know, I didn't, yeah, I answered practical excellence. So I'm going to answer this too, which is just to say that the thing that I've gotten really deep into recently is, is, um, a physical practice. I've never had a physical practice before that, um, I was like really, uh, routinized with. And also I've never had one that didn't make me feel like 10 steps behind. Cause like bo my body is really difficult for me. And I know a lot of people feel that way. Um, but yeah, being in my body on a very regular basis in a practice that I replicate every time has helped me be a more full person. And for me, and this is, I think, goes along with a lot of what Dan was saying also as a white person who works in the arts, it's, it's helped me to more genuinely step back and know what that really means. Not doing it because I think I'm supposed to, but because I can just be in myself and that can be enough for me. There's this thing I think about constantly that Chelsea uh, Johnson Long said she used to work at um, Audre Lorde Project and now it was organizing in Atlanta. And she was talking about like solidarity or allyship, but I think this actually really applies to curation and, and any kind of like arts leadership role, which is that she said being an, you know, the concept of ally is fraught, but she said being an ally is like being a doula Mm -hmm. And if a woman is giving birth and the doula is crying, <laughs> right? <laughs> then the doula is failing. <laughs> um, and like, if the doula is having a bad day, the doula needs to check it at the door and like have some kind of process to like, get right, so mm -hmm. that when you're in that room, when you're in that moment, when you're doing that work, you can just be there for the other person. And I think about this constantly mm -hmm. and it's affected like every relationship in my life, mm -hmm. not just the professional ones and the artistic right. ones. Right. No, I love that. I want to jump in real quick before we segue. Mm -hmm. um, there was two things that Dan said that I wanted to address is the, um, the idea of failing. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. this is something that I've been wrapping my head around a lot in just terms of like society nowadays, like this, this fear of failing right and i call it the post jordanism like everyone looks at jordan <laughs> and it's like he's the best player ever but are you willing to fail the way jordan failed though oh. right like so for all the all, all the game-winning shots he right. missed so many and i'm sorry to bring athletics yeah, in here okay, but it's, it's just okay. like you know the failing is the seed of success. Like you have to see right. the right. the ugly part, the messy part that it takes to to get to success. So I've been an entrepreneur three times. I failed two and a half times. So I'm like on a half right now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, you, you can't you know, fail if you don't try. Exactly. Right? So like you, so so it being in my head is 
not good enough, mm-hmm. right? So the mm-hmm. part of like going outside of New York where everyone wears their kind of success on their yeah. shoulders, you can actually go outside, mess up, come back, and then bring some tools with you to, you know, just be and not have to deal with the pretentiousness of, of winning. Um, the other piece of it is, you know, just the messing up part. Um, you know, even with the, the concept of centering, centering is an elusive act. You know, like it's mm-hmm. constantly messing up. And I think, you know, um, to bring it back to politics slightly, not too deep, but I think part of this ultra PC era is because people are so scared to mess up. Yes. I want to get the right yes. words and say the right thing in the right time. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you know why I have a lot of friends? Because I have said a lot of fucked up shit <laughs> and I keep it real. And they're just like, dude, did you really just say that? I'm like, yes, I just said that. And what? You know? And they're like, okay, cool. I dig it. And they can see my true self. Mm-hmm. You know, like I messed up. I went in a room full of women and say, like, hey, girls. It was like, do not call us that. I was like, shit. You know, like, so, and they were like, some of us identify as other things. And I'm like, okay, cool. Now I know. But if I came in and made that assumption, I didn't learn anything. So I need right. to learn something in that moment. So the, op, the, the, the embracing messing up, the embracing of failing is like key to evolution. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, if you didn't listen to them when they, when they responded to you, then right. you wouldn't have learned anything. Right, right. And it's like the, the, um, the emphasis on saying the right thing, which in some levels I think is important, but the overemphasis on saying the right thing is sort of the same as like programming the quote-unquote diverse season where like the only decision makers are white people and the audience right. is all white. Right, right. <laughs> it's like the surface illusion of 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 uh, you know correct politics right. with without necessarily having anything beneath it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's talking everyday life in grant speak. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's really it's like it's one of the worst parts of being an administrator right. is like not doing that. Yeah. Like no, like listening to myself do it and be like, I sound like a robot, like a, like I'm programmed to say this. Um, as a segue, could we can we each go around and say something that we're gonna try to fail at in our work as curators or platform developers? Well, failing as a curator and failing as an artist are really different things. Right. I'm asking as a, as a curator in keeping with the theme of our episode. Oh. <laughs> so but you're gonna you know you're Rasu. gonna so like what I'm are not, you like like i i like rasu i i hear what you're saying so hard but what's but your the, hard work as a curator that you're like i i'm gonna do this and and because it is important no, what, no, and well, i'm trying so what i want to say and i, I really want to say this is like i i also believe in failure very aggressively mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. i like believe in failure religiously but um and failure is inevitable right inevitable yeah but um in the curations that i do the stakes of for mm-hmm. other people for other people okay. are so high yeah. and yes. i am and i uh yeah okay. i'm not i'm not willing to put them on the line too much even though i'm inherently putting them on the line by even doing it in the first place but you're gonna put yourself on the line something else is gonna give oh, so that yeah, you can do that fine. that's what i'm talking about yeah i yeah. mean we had a one year in squirts oh sorry you wanted this to be like a like a 
uh, uh, lightning round thing. No, it's okay. It's okay. This is an important. Well, this like, is important. like I had a, I'll just briefly one year in squirts, one day after another for a three day weekend, there was some kind of huge disaster. Just like every day, there was some huge disaster where I was 100% had to take accountability mm-hmm. for every single thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was emotionally just one of the most difficult things I've ever experienced in my life. But I received every ounce of, uh, I received all of the lessons mm-hmm. so aggressively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was happy, I was pleased for, the, for what I was able to make of the failure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. ultimately right. I was pleased that the failure happened so that I could have uh, learned those lessons. Mm-hmm. Were those lessons worth the experience of the other people? Probably a pointless question, mm-hmm. but it flavors the way I look at failure and creation. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I felt the similar resistance to like this idea of, of failure in in a curatorial project because because of the effort of all of the artists. Like, is hard, you know, as much as we're doing on our side, it's like what they did to like get their piece together and get it on the stage and you know all that. So, um, you know, and then I feel much more comfortable addressing that in my artist self and my artist hat. And I think it's integrated into, you know, especially as an improviser, it's like, it's all just a series of failures, you know, like moment to moment. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'm sort of repeating what you said, but I had a similar experience. So with the festival, um, the Queer New York International Arts Festival this past September, this was my first time curating outside of an organization. So I had curated within the structure of an organization and I made a lot of mistakes because I was coming from a, an ex, you know, being used to working where there's a marketing department and there's a finance department and there's a such and such and, you know, a team of people and you have your meetings and then you say, please do this and they do it because it's their job. And, you know, I kind of tracked those things, but then there wasn't the same follow through when there were no departments that existed and it was, you know, a series of unconnected individuals, <laughs> you know. Um, so I feel like, but again, the lessons that came out of that you know, I understand more. And this goes back even to the question you asked me, Risa, about health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I learned really quickly, like, I needed to, like, map out my, you know, communities and colleagues and mm-hmm. networks and, be, you know, like, rely, extend way beyond just this one idea that I had that I was trying to pull off. Um, and so, yeah, it's all, it's all interconnected. And failure is not an option. No, just, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, I think it's, you know... The failure actually maybe isn't the isn't the lesson. The lesson is how we recover from the failure. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. actually what I would say. So, so if I leave it at failure, yeah. then I'm, I, you know, not. Embracing it, the yeah, lesson. but it's right. actually the yeah. Yeah, that's it's, what it's I would not say. not re- receiving it as failure as it ha- as it's happening perhaps. Yeah, or an end point. Or, it's not an yeah. end point. Not the end point. It's not, not the end thing. point. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, exactly. How to transform it? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. how to transform it. In it, yes. So I failed really hard this summer. Um, I was overcommitted, was working on a bunch of stuff, and um, I went overseas and worked on uh, a project um, for some youth. And in my standards, it was an ultimate failure. I was like, oh, this is going tragically, right? Um, And it was that same piece of like, you know, I don't have departments. I don't have a technical producer. Mm-hmm. I don't have this. I don't have that. So a lot of my methodology was like, ooh, I see the whole, like I was able to see the major holes in my work. Like I was like, oh, so if I don't have these departments, I don't have these experts around, 
like that is the platform or that is the seat of failure because I'm reliant on so many other people. So, um, but it was one of my greatest experience ever because the kids were like, yeah, that was fun. I was like, <laughs> um, anyways, so that was to set up the case of one of the things I'm really willing to fail at is um, always trying to get it right. Yeah. 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 I'm just really like, let, let, let go power when I need to, because mm -hmm. what it was, what if I did control that situation? Mm -hmm. Right. I would have probably interrupted their empowerment of, oh, we want to try this. We want to try that. And I knew in my head, I was like, that's not going to work. But the fact that I gave them, they, they had choice in the matter and they were able to see what didn't work. And they're like, oh, we should have did this instead. So in reflection, I was like, that was a failure in my eyes, but for them, they were able to see right. what worked. So right. I'm willing to, you know, just not always get it right. I'm okay with not getting it right all the time. So this wraps up our very first episode of wow. Artwork. Um, I am so grateful to all of you for being with us and sharing yourselves and your time and sharing this very, very warm, <laughs> overly heated space that we are in um, and moving past that and, and bringing yourselves to the table as we all talked about doing in this episode. Thank you so much, Mariah and Dan and Rasu. Um, where We want people to know where they can find you and your work. Rasu, where can we find you? Um, so <laughs> I hope you didn't hear that far of me swearing. Um, so I can be found on Twitter at Rasuisms because it's my ego talking. Um, I am at the new Inc at the new museum. Um, I'm consulting there now. So for anyone that is really trying to solve this diversity issue, quote unquote, <laughs> um, I am tackling the issue within the incubator. And if you are looking to fund something, you need to come to me and holla. We need to talk, right? Um, and what I say by funding is how do we create pathways for low-income folks, women, people of color, disabled, um, indigenous, and, and um, Native Americans to have space and have, have a seat at the innovation economy? Because right now we don't see that. It's very lacking. Um, and part of it is the wealth engine. Right. So, right. yeah, if you have if you really try to make a change, come talk to me and I can give you a breakdown on how you can make it happen. Right? Thank, thank you for disrupting and doing that. Right. <laughs> um, Mariah, where can we find you? Um, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have nowhere Twitter. Nowhere bar on 14th Street. I don't, <laughs> that's later, honey. <laughs> um, I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. Um, okay. So Facebook. Yeah. If you spell my name right, you can find me on Facebook. <laughs> um, I don't have a website, although I might by next year. That's a goal. Um, We're going to work on your website. All right. Yeah. I'm going to take you up on that. Um, so yeah, I guess Facebook and the next thing I have coming up is a performance, which is, I don't know if that's what you're asking. Yeah. 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 Tell of, us, tell us what um, and where. Yeah. December 10th, uh, Dance Space Project, it's draft work series, which is the work in process mm -hmm. uh, showing... Um, a really, really incredible project with choreographer Yel Palumpas. Mm -hmm. um, it's a trio mm -hmm. um, of dancers and a choir. Mm -hmm. And in Yel's work, they are an end-of-life doula, yep. um, a death doula. Mm -hmm. And so in the project, we they have been for a while, and now me, and, and for the extent that I've been in the project, exploring um, transitional realms and liminal spaces and states 
um, and it's a beautifully intense um, work. So come and see. December 10th at Dance Space. Great. Thank you, Mariah. Dan, where can we find you? On Twitter, I'm Dangerfishback. That's D-A-N-G-E-R-F-I-S-H-B-A-C-K. Um, and the Helix Queer Performance Network is at helixqpn.org. Um, and La Mama Squirts is going to be the first two weekends of January. We're announcing the lineup really soon. It's bonkers. It's really, really good. This year, instead of having a million artists, each night is just going to be a single intergenerational pairing. Mm-hmm. So six, six pairings over the course of two weeks, um, some of which are going to be very provocative. And then I can't tell you dates quite yet, but um, my new play is finally going to start to appear in little bits and bobs over the course of 2017 in various different places. Wow. That's great news. It's called Rubble Rubble. Fantastic. Rubble Rubble. Great. Uh, For those of you listening at home and going like, I didn't write it down or like, I don't know how to spell Rasuisms. um, Don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. Go to fabnyc.org and you will find all of these things written out for you and you can click them and go to them and find out more about them and join these amazing human beings in the meat world uh, for these activities that they have talked to you about. Dan is gasping. What are you gasping about, Dan? And my band is coming out with a new album next this year. band is coming Our out with a new album. first album in 10 years. This that is, is self-oppression that What's I'm not. What's the name of your band? We're called Cheese on Bread. Cheese on Bread. New album soon. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> listen, this podcast is called Artwork. You can find it at fabnyc.org. You can find it on iTunes. Please do that. Subscribe to it. Rate it. Write some comments. Hopefully nice comments. Um, but also honest comments because it is a work in progress and we want to continue to progress in this work. Um, I want to give a big shout out to our friends at Art New York for allowing us to record here in Anne-Marie Lonsdale's office. Thank you, Anne-Marie, and thank you, Katie Frazier, who helped set this up for us today. We want to give another special thanks to Nova Man Dark for providing today's opening and closing music. Our next episode, we'll be talking about leadership So subscribe and stay tuned so you don't miss that and all of the other six upcoming episodes beyond that. So there will be eight in total this year and tell all your friends about artwork. I am Risa Shoup. Behind the scenes, again, is our amazing associate producer and Fab's director of marketing, Denise Shumay. And our audio engineer is Timothy McAleer. On behalf of our guests and my team at Fab, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Fourth Arts Block. And again, you go to the website, you click it there. And tell us what you think and get ready. Fab is launching its annual appeal on December 1st. Contribute to us in December so we can keep bringing people together like we did today through this podcast and all of our other programs. Thank you very much. Have a good time wherever you are. Shotgun in the bins through the city. Police killed another young man. It could have been me, dog. That's been messing with me. I'm living on the edge any moment. These haters gonna push me. They're the veterans and I'm just a rookie. Besides, yeah, what will it cost them? I'm feeling AI, think it's time to cross Jordan. This a brand new York, we the leaders. Parents always did their best to try to teach us. Right from wrong, but the streets why I teach us. Now we're all grown and everybody wanna be us. Put the hood on, everybody gonna be up. Treat this music like ounces, every day we gotta re-up. We're bred different, just a city of winners. I'm trying to be the boss, RIP the Steinbrenner. Uh.